Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. I was thinking a couple weeks ago, I remember some of the older songs that we used to sing, very different than some of the songs we sing today. I remember particularly, um, there was a hymn that, that we actually sang this in church, and I think it was kind of our, there used to be a time that during, uh, there was always a specific time in church that everybody would shake hands with everybody. It was like a 10-minute chaos is what it was, is what I call it. And everybody would try to, the goal, I think, was to shake everybody's hand in the church. And and one of the songs that we would sing said, smile a while and give your face a rest. Turn around to the one you love, or raise your hands to the one you love the best. Turn around to someone near, shake their hand and smile. I mean, that was an actual worship chorus. Uh, I don't know if we could get away with singing that in 2021, right? Are we in 21 yet? Okay, wherever we are. But. I know, I know we can't get away with that song in worship, but I, I want to ask you right now just to turn to somebody near and smile at them and shake their hand or fist bump them or uh, air high five them, however you want to do that. And because how are you, Sister Angelina? Thank you, thank you, love you, hey, love you, buddy. We are, we're going to be blessed today. We've got a, a great treat. We've got two of our, uh, the fathers from within Living Hope that are going to be speaking to us today. So we'll, we'll give you, I know we started, see that's what happened. Ten minutes when you say shake hands with people, you, you have a hard time getting the service back. But fellowship, hospitality, kindness are very important parts of our Christian faith. I think sometimes we, um, we're a little bit too stoic when we come to church. I think it's important to be serious about the things of God, but it's also important to, amen, the Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy. So I, I think when we come to church, we should enjoy our time in the house of God, amen? So we're going to get ready to uh, receive Brother Barry, first of all. Brother Barry has been our, the head of our uh, first touch system for as long as it's been a system up until this last December. He Uh, stepped aside from that, but Brother Barry is just a great man who has done so many great things here at our church. He served as a trustee for how long, Brother? A long time? We'll just say a long time. Will that cover it? I mean, he's only 29, so it couldn't have been too long, but uh, in many ways, he is also just a father figure in this church, somebody that just his presence brings peace into the room, and so we want Brother Barry to come and uh, Whatever he shares. I told him ahead of time. I said, Brother Barry, I'm looking forward to what you're going to share today. He said, Pastor, you might want to wait until I'm done. I said, nope, I'm saying it ahead of time, no matter what you say. It's going to be great. So let's welcome Brother Barry right now. Appreciate you. Thank you, Pastor State. I appreciate it. Um, You guys can sit, please. Um, first of all, you know, I want to thank Pastor Staten and Sister Staten and Brother Roberts for allowing um, me to come up here and speak to all of you. I really appreciate it. And 
uh, I want to say anytime you come to the pulpit, it's, you can't take it lightly because in this church, this pulpit is, has an anointing on it. And I think that comes from God and our reverence to God that, <clears throat> that the pulpit itself is already anointed when you get here. So hopefully those of us who come up here can't mess it up. So we already have an advantage. So I want to thank you guys for allowing that. And I'd like to thank my lovely wife and children. But without them, <clears throat> uh, without them, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be a father. So I, I want to thank you that, for that. And um, I'm going to go ahead and get jump right into it. And that Father's Day is the day that most of the world celebrates, all over the world. I did a little research, and um, it's celebrated in Canada, the UK. It celebrates the same day as we do. Uh, most of Equatorial Africa, they celebrate Father's Day the third Sunday in June. Uh, France, Germany, India, Mexico, Pakistan, Singapore, South Africa, and Venezuela. Also in um, places like Spain, Portugal, and Italy, it's, which are mainly Roman Catholic countries, they celebrate Father's Day on the Feast of St. Joseph's. And that's um, an annual religious holiday that honors the jo Joseph of Nazarene, Jesus' earthly father. And that holiday is celebrated on March 19th of each year. In addition to church services, the day is celebrated with um, gifts and cards for your dad just like here, but here in the United States, um, Father's Day to me is a little different than anywhere else because we as fathers, we may get gifts and cards, but we still have to work. You know, most of you guys, not most, but a lot of you guys are gonna have to go home and grill, right? And if it's not that, then you get tools. And what are tools for? They gotta work. So, I mean, yeah, they celebrate you and say, Happy Father's Day, but they say, hey, you know, tomorrow, take the trash out. So, <laughs> so in, down under in uh, Australia and New Zealand is celebrated on the first day of spring, and which is in the southern hemisphere, their spring and summer is different from ours. And the reason they do that is because that they said that all the normal holiday, the normal time that Father's Day is celebrated is already full of holidays. So commercially, they moved it for commercial purposes so that they could have more people buying stuff on a, a different day of the week. <clears throat> and you know, in Spanish, Father's Padre, or more affectionately known as Papi, how we tell, say Father. In uh, Swahili, it's Baba. And then Vietnamese is Bo. So those are just a few pronunciations for uh, Father's Day. And then, um, <clears throat> excuse me, in the past few weeks, uh, Brother Trey, I think, has started a trend. He gets up here and, you know, makes his introductions, and then he talks about schooling. You know, what he did in school, how good he was at certain <laughs> subjects. You know, <laughs> then... Brother Johnson does it, and you know a few others. And um, uh, I had a, I wouldn't say a casual relationship with school, but 
it was okay. I did okay. I, I was mostly an A-B student, and I got uh, a couple times I actually made the honor roll, but there was one subject in school that I was absolutely great at, and that was gym. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> for four years, I was above average student in gym, and, um, and it was hard to do, you know. There was, you know, there was basketball and football and track and soccer and we did archery and we did tennis, but my favorite subject of all was dodgeball. I mean, <clears throat> me and a couple guys, we would get a plan, you know, we would catch the ball, we wouldn't dodge it, so we learned how to catch it. And then if you was, you know, you stand there and say, oh, you caught that, the other guy would hit you and knock you out. So, we, you know, we worked on that. So I was pretty good at dodgeball, so that was my educational excellence for you guys. So, you know, it's, it's good to be able to come in the house of the Lord in our Father's house and enjoy ourselves, you know, but not with foolishness, just with fellowship and camaraderie. Because in um, Proverbs 19.3, it says, The foolish, foolishness of man perverteth his way in his heart, fretteth against the Lord. But that's not what we're here for. We're here to celebrate our fathers, not only you men that are fathers, you men who are going to be fathers, but also our heavenly father. And then there's more verses in Proverbs that says, um, talks about fathers. It says, hear my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. Listen to your father who gave you life. The father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. And so I would like to talk a little bit about us guys, earthly fathers, and our heavenly father, and sort of some differences between the two. And as an earthly father, I am subject to the boundaries of this world in thought, action, and deed. You know, as a father, I have failed miserably in my fatherly duties and also, as a father, I have soared above the clouds with my family. <clears throat> I have, in some instances of my miserable failing, I have not. I have not spent enough time with my children as I should have. I mean, if you think you spend enough time with your children, you really don't. For the, for the most part. I mean, us guys, we got other things that are interest to us that, you know, we think are more important. Oh, I got to get some overtime. Or, you know, got to do this, got to do that. And all the while, there's a couple of people that really like you that want you around. So, <clears throat> our children need our attention all the time. And as a father, I know that I didn't give them as much attention as they needed. The reasons why are irrelevant. Either you do or you don't. Either you fail or you succeed. And uh, short of being a danger to your family, there's no reason not to be with them or you will miss out. They will miss out and it is, and it is the time that you cannot recover from. You can't make up for lost time. You can do things, you know, that maybe assuage your guilt or 
you know, oh, I'll make it up to him and buy him some ice cream or whatever. But the one thing you can't do is make up for lost time. You cannot do that. <clears throat> and there are times when, as a father, I came out like a champ. I was on top of the world. You know, there was, we've always had a roof over our heads. Uh, we've always had food at the table, shoes on our feet, clothes on our back. We've always had some place to sleep. And um, we've always been safe in our body. You know, there's nobody out hunting the Berry family. The police aren't coming, knocking on the door, looking to drag any of us away. So as a father and with the large help of my wife, we have had a safe and secure home. And there's, you know, there's other things that go in with that, but for the most part, we have accomplished that. So there's highs and lows, and I think for the most part, I'm just so, overall, I'm gonna say I, I'm not the greatest father, but hopefully I'm not the worst either. That is a question that you have to ask my wife and children. So, so if you do ask them, Ask them about space camp. Ask them about the birthday parties and vacation village and the spa day and Sesame Place and uh, going out to eat and cookouts and to the ball games, uh, you know, visiting family and ask them about the day after Thanksgiving, how great that is for them. And ask them about Christmas morning. Ask them about that. Ask them, you know, of not ever having to want, but don't ask them about the time we was in Circuit City and <laughs> I was about to pop a gasket and I was so angry with the people of Circuit City that I had to tell my wife to take the children out and get in the car. Because I don't know what's about to happen. <laughs> we had purchased something and went online and they told us to do this and do that and come back to the store and we'll refund the money. So we did that. You know, it's a 60 mile drive to Waldorf and, you know, and um, I had the paperwork. I go in there and this little young cat he didn't understand that this is what we were supposed to do. He wouldn't, didn't have it here. You know, it was, you guys been in that circus city that they closed and that was up there in Waldorf and it was crowded and it was all these people in customer service and, you know, he wasn't hearing what I wanted him to hear. So, you know, and I could feel my temperature just going up, getting higher and higher. So finally I said, you know, I'm thinking to myself, this ain't going to be pretty. So I don't want the girls to see what's about to happen. So um, I got a hold of the manager. I said, look, I'm not getting what I need here. He said, what's the problem? And I told him. He said, well, they can handle it. I said, no, they're not handling it today. You need to handle this. And I told him, I said, you got two choices. I said, one, you can fix this. Or two, call the police. <laughs> he was like, what? I said, because I'm not satisfied. And I think you can fix this, but if you don't fix this, I'm going to raise a ruckus in here. 
and you're going to need the police. So he took the first choice. He fixed it. And so I go out, and my wife was like, we coming out the store. So, and there was the time, you know, I almost killed everybody. We were, I don't, were we coming from church or whatever? It was, it was at night. And we used to live in St. Mary's City. And we were going down 235, and we had that um, the Ashley and Erica were little babies. We had that black Honda Accord. And as we're driving down the road, a white albino deer runs right in front of us. I kid you not, a white albino deer, huge. So I'm like, huh? <laughs> and I stopped in the middle of the road. About five seconds later, this truck, he had to be doing 80 miles an hour. He got right up on us, and God went, Foop, pushed the truck aside, and he went around us. There was no way that he could have missed us. And if he had hit us, we would not be here today. So thank you, Jesus. That was some of my failures. And speaking of Jesus, our Heavenly Father, I would say that our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be his name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done this day. This day, God has done for us. He shall continue to do for us, and we appreciate it. Our Father is the greatest, our Heavenly Father. He has breathed into us the breath of life. He has died on the cross for our transmissions, sins that we've committed, and he's died for sins that he knows we will commit. So he's covered everything. He's blessed us with his Holy Spirit, he leads us in the path of righteousness. His gifts to us are of a spiritual nature. In uh, 1 Corinthians 1, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. So he's going to give us spiritual gifts, but he's not going to leave us ignorant about them. Verse 4, Now there are diversity of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are differences of administrations but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. So this gift of the Spirit, diversity of gifts that he gives to us, our Father, is for to profit us. And I thank you for those, spirit, those spiritual gifts that he gives us to keep us and guide us. And, you know, um, I hope what I'm about to say is not taken in the, out of context, but as a father, I, Wayne, should be taken for granted. My wife and sh children, my family should expect me to love them without question. They wake up in the morning, they should know that my husband and my father is going to love me. When they go to bed at night, they should know that I'm going to protect them. Um, they should expect me to provide for them. They should expect and know that for certain, without a doubt, that I'm not going to abandon them. These 
they should take me for granted. Not disrespectfully, but they should know that their father is going to be there. And that's what I want to do. That's the kind of father I want to be. I want to be able to be taken for granted by my wife and children. And as us, as children of God, we should be able to take our Lord and Savior for granted. Not disrespectfully, but for granted. We should expect that when we fall short, we can take for granted that God's going to be there. That we can come to an altar before our Father and ask for forgiveness. And ask for the things that we want. We should take for granted. We should know and expect that the Lord is on our side. He's always on our side. Whether we know it or not, he is always on our side. He's on our side from the rising of his son to the going down of the scene. And as a father, I'd be remiss in not, um, you know, giving good gifts, giving to you gifts as I have for um, the men in here, a couple of gifts that you can use. They don't cost you anything. Uh, so it's a couple of gifts of wisdom. I think I've gained a little bit of wisdom as a man of God, I hope. And it's, this is kind of Elder Scriber gives me gifts of wisdom. I'm going to pass a few on. Elder. So as a father and a husband, you got two cars. One's not so good. One is real good. Which do you let your wife drive? Most, most of the time, your wife are taking your children somewhere or your wife is, you know, doing certain things. You don't want her to break down. So if they're taking them to school or wherever, you let your wife drive the good car. You can walk or you can change a flat tire or whatever. So... There's another one is that, um, yeah, you don't want your wife and kids on the side of the road or have them with you when you run out of gas like I did one day, but that's fine. So another one is um, take out the trash. Don't let the trash pile up, you know, especially if you have to take it to a dumpster somewhere. Don't let your wife and your kids take trash out. You can take trash out. It won't kill you. Okay, and um, the, another gift of wisdom is YouTube is a tool. You can use YouTube if you need to fix something around the house. I mean, we've learned fix, fix the car and hook this up and hook that up. Just YouTube it, and 99% of the time it's there. Sometimes it's not always good information, but it's there. So, And um, learn how to cook. Not only grill, but learn how to cook. Sometimes, you know, your wife doesn't want to cook, but you want to eat. And so, you know, fortunately for me, they cook at my house. I do, but fortunately for me, and by the looks of me, they're good cooks. I, I don't go hungry. And um, so... I got, y'all want to hear one little Ashley Erica story? 
So when we lived in St. Mary's City, we had, um, a couple of you been to the house, we've had, we had a nice yard. We had a swing set, a boat, a little house. Um, had two swing sets, right? And, you know, just, a, you know, and a trampoline. And not these two, we, we played this game with sticks and a grocery bag set up boundaries, and the sticks about yay long, and you had those like little food line bags, and one person would carry the, the stick at the end of the bag, the other two had to catch them. We couldn't never catch Erica, could never catch her. She, I mean, it was crazy. They, Erica, that's out of bounds. It doesn't matter. She'd go out of bounds, you know. <laughs> so finally, one day, Ashley got tired of it. She got close. And she didn't go for the bag. Crap. Down goes Erica. Ashley has the bag. So, you know, just fun stuff for your kids. And um, so in closing, I want to say that you know how <clears throat> I think it was Jacob who gave the blessing to his son? Uh, I would like all the fathers and would-be fathers to stand up, please. And as a father, I would like for us to pray for blessing on our wife and children. Because with the power of your tongue, you can either bless or you curse. And I would like to bless. So I thank you, Jesus, for this day. I plead your blood over every father and father-to-be, I plead blessing over my wife and my children. And as a father, Lord, I pray that I will succeed in this journey that you have set us upon. We lift up your name. We give you glory. And I thank you for this opportunity to come before these wonderful people in your house and speak your word. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. I told you I was going to love it. Come on, let's give him a hand. That was awesome. I could just see in my mind little Ashley taking out little Erica. Amen. My wife looked at me while Brother Barry was sharing those points of wisdom, and she said, why aren't you taking notes? <laughs> I don't know what she meant by that, but uh, thank you, Brother Barry. I told you before you got up here I was going to enjoy it, and I did even more than I thought I would. That was great. Thank you, Brother Barry. We love you. We appreciate you. Amen. And uh, while you're standing, right before Brother uh, Williams comes to teach for a little bit, uh, I want to say Happy Father's Day to Elder Scriber. I think he is the elder among us. <clears throat> we love him and appreciate him. And I never cease to be amazed by Elder Scriber. He, the things he's been through in the last, uh, I remember being in the hospital room after he had had a brain aneurysm and they, they didn't think he was going to make it. And uh, I didn't think he was going to make it, but we prayed, and it wasn't too long. He got out of the hospital. The first thing he did was right back in church. And through, he had COVID last year. As soon as he got through that, he was right back in church. And he is an example, not just to his family, but to all of us, of how you should treat your wife. I mean, you don't see Sister Scriber without Elder Scriber right there with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
I don't know if she was disagreeing. I think she said she didn't hear what I was saying. I hope that's what she <laughs> But we, we love you, Elder. We honor you. Uh, I do want us to pray real quick. I got a text message. Sister Simpkins' mother um, fell and hit her head. And Brother and Sister Simpkins are on their way to the hospital right now to pray with her. So let's pray over that. And Brother Tyler, as we're praying, if you'd come. Jesus, we pray right now that you would touch, Lord, Sister Simpkins' mother. We ask God that even right now, I know that her mother's health has not been good and she has not been doing well. But we ask you right now that you would touch her, bring healing to her body. We pray for Sister Simpkins, God, and for Brother Simpkins, for that family. Lord, in Jesus' name, and we just simply ask you to do what you can do, to do a miracle in this, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Brother Tyler is going to come this morning. They were finishing up uh, praise team practice, and true, it was back there about where Sister Shalanda's at. And I saw him just standing back there looking at his daddy up there, uh, had just finished playing the bass, and you could tell true, it had that look on his face like, that's my daddy. And then he just started yelling, daddy, 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 waving it. So uh, this is Truett's dad. That's how I'm going to introduce him today. Come on and talk to us. Well, Truett's dad is the best way to know me because you won't forget him. If he gets a hold of you, you won't get away. Uh, I do wish I would have gone first now. It's hard to follow um, Brother Barry. But I'd like to ask if there's anyone else in here that can stay with me. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Anybody happy to be in church? today. This time last year, I was thinking about it this morning, this time last year was our first in-person service a year ago. We had been locked down for two or three months. This was the first opportunity to come back to church, and it's amazing what's happened over a year. What we've been through as a church, what we've made it through, the testimonies that we have, uh, and I'd like to, to thank and give honor to Pastor and Sister Staten, uh, Brother Roberts uh, and his wife, and most importantly, my wife, uh, without who, I wouldn't be a father. Uh, she, she doesn't understand, and, and hopefully she won't understand, uh, how much of a blessing she really is to me. She makes everything I do possible. She takes care of Truett. I don't have to worry. She takes care of everything that needs to happen so I'm free to do what I need to do or I want to do, and I just want to say thank you. To her, it's been, it's been 10 years now that we've known each other, and almost eight years since we've been married, and I'm blessed and highly favored because of her. Uh, last Sunday, I was prepared to bring a different message, uh, and then Brother Roberts got up and decided to preach it for me. So uh, I had planned to preach from Judges 6, or to teach from Judges 6, 12 through 15, and Brother Jeff said, I'll do you one better. I'm going to preach from Judges 6, 11 through 16. So he walked all over my notes, but the Lord was faithful and uh, gave me some redirection. If, uh, if you could turn to 1 Samuel 17, verses 4 through 11, we're going to start with uh, reading about King David and uh, his fateful battle with Goliath. And there went out a champion of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of brass upon his head and was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels, or roughly 125 pounds, of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And the head of that spear weighed 600 shekels, or roughly 15 pounds. And one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? 
Am not I a Philistine, and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me, and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him, and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and service. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Uh, you can be seated. Uh, for the next few more, here it is. For the next few minutes this morning, I would like to speak about being unqualified, and about three men in the Bible that were equally unqualified until after God had called them. Before we can establish what it means to be unqualified, let's look at what it means to be qualified. Qualified is first defined as fitted, as by training or experience for a given purpose. So that could be uh, military training. You know, when you join the military, you immediately go to boot camp. They don't send you off to do something else until they have made you what they want you. Uh, secondly, it's defined as having complied with the specific requirements or precedent conditions as for an office or employment. So all of us that have jobs, we have to have some kind of qualification to do that job, right? Or at least pretend we do. We have a resume, we have some kind of experience that we give an employer saying, I can do these things, or I'm at least going to make you think I can do these things, and I'll figure it out later. We all have to prove that we're qualified for a job. Has anybody run into anybody that's unqualified for the position they have? I feel like every time I go to the MVA, nobody there is qualified to do the job they're doing. It's always come back in 10 minutes, take a number and sit down. 45 minutes later, oh, you got to go to the other side of the room. Every time. Another, an example of showing your qualification will be when you take your driver's exam for your license. You have to prove to the evaluator that we know how to conduct ourselves in a real-world situation before they'll turn us loose. Now, when I took my exam, I was confined to a guardrail parking lot. We didn't go out in traffic. We didn't go interact with other people on the road. All I had to do was make this little circuit inside a closely guarded track, and they gave me a license. They didn't care if I could merge into traffic, didn't care if I could parallel park, didn't care if I could do any of the things I was supposed to do. They said, if you can master this closed course with nobody else, here's your license. And I'm like, some people drive like that's all they've ever had to do. <laughs> when I go to the doctor's office, I don't want the guy that got the D minus. I want the guy that, like, passed his medical board above and beyond. I don't want the guy that, like, sneak th snuck through the door at the very end and is trying to get in and say, hey, I'm a doctor. I've run into a few of those in my life. I'm like, I don't want that guy coming back. I'm not going near him with a 10-foot pole. Leave me alone. I don't want somebody unqualified working on me. I don't want the surgeon that's fresh out of med school working on me. I want the doctor that's been doing it for 30 years and knows how to save my life when somebody else screws up. I want to know they're qualified to be making medical decisions that will have lasting impacts on my quality of life. Because when you run into somebody that's unqualified, it has an impact on everything else that you experience, either with that person, with that business, with that entity, whatever it is. If you run into somebody unqualified, you permanently have, I permanently have a bad impression of whatever it was I dealt with. When I watch or I read the news, which I, I try to rarely do anymore, I want to know that the person doing the reporting is qualified to be speaking on the subject. I don't want somebody talking about the cyber attacks that happened that doesn't even know how to turn on a computer. I want to know that you know what you're talking about when you're telling me. That way, when I repeat the news, 
I can be trusted as having a verified source. That's, that's my rub with social media these days. Everyone's an expert of nothing. They all have an opinion that they qualify with a single fact, which is totally misconstrued and misrepresented to the point where you're repeating stuff that doesn't even make sense. So now that we've covered what it means to be qualified and we understand what it means to be qualified, let's look at what it means when someone is unqualified. The legal definition was extremely deep and thought-provoking, and I had to sit down when I read it. The legal definition of unqualified, according to Merriam-Webster, is not qualified. Okay. I'm looking at that going, I didn't think you're supposed to use the word when you're defining the word. Like, that goes against everything I learned or tried to pay attention to in English class. There's a phenomenon called imposter syndrome, which is defined as a psychological pattern in which individuals doubt their skills, talents, or accomplishments and have a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. Has anybody ever done something that you're not qualified to do? I got one, two, a few, okay. I tried playing electrician the other day, and I zapped myself pretty good. I thought it was easy. All I got to do is replace a light switch. I turned it on. Everything worked fine. I went to put the cover back on. Apparently, my finger made its way into the socket. My hand was numb for a half. I was not qualified to do that job. I should have called my father-in-law and had him come do it for me. But despite external evidence of competence, those experiencing this phenomenon, uh, imposter syndrome, whoops, my notes decided to freak out. Uh, despite external evidence of their competence, those experiencing this phenomenon called imposter syndrome remain convinced that they're frauds and do not deserve all they've achieved. Individuals suffering from imposterism incorrectly attribute their success to luck or interpret or interpret it as a result of deceiving others into thinking they're more intelligent than they perceive themselves to be. I look at the life that I live, and I look at the job that I work, and the family that I have, and the church that I'm in, and I understand what imposter syndrome is. Standing right here, I've got it. <laughs> I don't feel qualified to be here, which is I'm, I'm assuming is part of the reason the Lord's having me bring this this morning. But I'm hoping that through the three men we're going to talk about and my transparency, it will help someone understand what God has done, is doing, and has promised to continue to do on your behalf will qualify you for what the Lord has brought you to. When my wife and I first started talking about having kids, I was still in grad school. I had enrolled in a one-year program that became a year-and-a-half program because I wasn't a very good student. And I was in my first, I had two classes, I was in my first class. And one night, I'm sitting at the table working on a paper or playing video games, one of the two. Should have been doing homework. And my wife comes in. She sits down at the kitchen table across from me. She goes, what do you think about having kids? And my answer was something flippant, surprise, uh, along the lines of, sure, I'm sure it's going to take a while anyways. Uh, given the stories that we'd heard from friends that have been trying for children for a while and been unsuccessful up to that point. Some time goes by, and we come home. It was, this was when we had Sunday night church still. We came home from the morning service, and I go into the room to keep doing homework. And my wife, out of the blue, goes, I'm going to go take a test. Okay. Why? There's no reason. Why? She goes, I don't know. I'm just going to go do it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go do homework. So, And, and I answer her in, in a very flip sort of way, which seems to be the best way I know how to answer a question I'm uncomfortable with. I said, it's not been enough time, but I'm going to go do my homework and, you know, come let me know what it turns out to be. She comes walking in about 20 minutes later with a test in her hand. She goes, do you see a line? 
I'm looking at this thing, like, my eyes won't focus. I'm like, uh-uh. Nope. No, I don't. I don't see anything. She goes, are you sure? I look at it again and go, nope. Uh-uh. I refused. I didn't want to believe it was there. I was like, there hasn't been enough time. I'm still in school. This ain't supposed to happen yet. I don't know. No. <laughs> she goes, all right, well, I'm going to call the doctor tomorrow, and, and we'll see what they say. Long story, not really short. She goes to the doctor the next day, and they confirm that there is, in fact, a truant on the way. In the following months, and even to this day, I begin to wonder and worry and feel grossly unqualified to be a dad. To have the responsibility of raising a kid and be wholly and utterly responsible for another life that is half of me, God help him, it scares me, even to this day. After Truett was born, that feeling still hasn't left. There's Sundays where he acts out in church, and I either want to strangle him, which I shouldn't do, or let him do what he's doing, which I shouldn't do. I'm like, I don't know what to do with him today. I can take him out to the truck, but then he's missing church if I keep him in here. I'm, nobody's getting church. What do I do with this boy? And it's just that, con, that continual feeling of like, I'm not cut out for this. And I think we can all kind of relate with that first kid that comes along. It's like, oh, God, what? What am I supposed to do with this? He's half me. I didn't know I acted like that. Must be my wife. With all that being said, there are three men I would like to look at and who by all accounts were unqualified for what God was calling them to do. The first is David, the giant killer. Uh, in our title text, at this point, David has already been anointed by Samuel to be the king of Israel in Samuel 1, uh, 1 Samuel 16. He's been called and anointed, but he doesn't appear to have anything showing that he's capable of leading a nation. We find in our title text, Goliath is calling for the biggest, baddest man that Israel has to come and fight him to determine which nation will serve the other. David hears the challenge of Goliath to the men of Israel in our opening text. 1 Samuel 17, 8 through 10. And he, being Goliath, stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. The interesting thing I found that I learned a couple months ago, I had no idea I was going to tie into this, but this wasn't a one-time provocation. This wasn't like Monday morning, Goliath showed up on the battlefield and went, hey, y'all have no business being here, but send me a man to fight with. He did this for 40 days. I get tired of my son when he asks me twice. I couldn't imagine being provoked for 40 days. If it takes you that long to get stirred up and do something, we're friends. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm lazy. If I don't have to do it, if it's not going to kill me to not do it right now, I'll let it be. I have a loving wife who knows how to get me to, to do what needs to be done. She's learned that, that she just knows how to handle me. And I'm thankful because I don't know how she figured it out because I still have it. 1 Samuel 17 and 16. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself for 40 days. In verses 20 through 30, uh, preceding this, David had left the camp. He had come to the camp with his brothers for the battle, and he had left to go back and take care of the, his father's business. He went to go back and take care of the sheep. David comes back to the camp, and he finally hears what's been going on with Goliath. 
And he begins to question the men of the camp as to what would happen if a man were to finally face and kill Goliath. Have any of you ever walked into a situation where something's been going, there's a problem that's happening, and you're the one who goes, you just got to do this. Have you, been working, have you personally been working on a problem for a long time going, I don't understand, this, it's just not working. And somebody walks in and goes, oh, you got to just plug it in this way. It's a simp- they, they've got this situation under control. They know what they have to do. That was David in this situation. David's come into the camp. I'm sorry, I skipped a part. Skipped part. It was made known to King Saul what David was proclaiming. David's saying, who is this Philistine? He's got no, he has no authority. He can't do this. It was made known to King Saul what David was proclaiming, and Saul calls for David that he may question him. David reports to Saul and bravely states, let no man's heart fail because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. David came into the camp and went, I'm here, and I got it. But David came into the camp with no weapons, no armor, and no military training that the Bible speaks of. And here he is, being what we assume to be a youth, a teenager, proposing to go and fight, quite literally, the biggest, baddest fighter that Israel has ever faced. And my notes are doing it again. Saul looks at David and says, you are unqualified to go and fight Goliath. You're a youth, while Goliath has been a man of war from his youth. David's response to Saul is a declaration. I'm sorry, David responds to Saul's declaration of his being unqualified through testifying about the things that God's done on his behalf while out tending the sheep. He doesn't just talk about what he's done, but what God has done through him and for him. David concludes his resume to Saul in 1 Samuel 17 and 37. The Lord has, declared, has delivered me out of the paw of the bear. I put that twice. And out of the paw, and I believe of the lion. He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. He wasn't worried. He said, God's delivered me twice. What's going to stop him from doing it a third time? He said, it's not just me that's going to go fight this giant, but the Lord is going with me. And that's the point. That's what we've got to have in ourselves. When the devil comes up and goes, you can't do it. He gets that little finger point going, going, you can't do it, and starts poking you in the chest. God's already done it. He's already delivered me. He delivered me from the sin that I was in when I came into the church. He's kept me in the church this long, and he's going to keep me in the church as long as I'm faithful. So we've got to get to the point where we said we're going to be a giant killer just like David was and put that giant down where he belongs. The next man I want to talk about is Noah, the builder. We can flip over to Genesis 6, verses 13 through 16. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt shalt thou make to the ark, and a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third stories shall you make it. Now, as far as we know, Noah had no idea what a boat was. There was no need for one. If I asked you, build me a boat, can anybody in here build me a boat? Okay. What if you didn't know what a boat was? All you've got, you've got explicit instructions saying it's going to be this big, this wide, this tall, this many levels. I'd be going, you got somebody that's done this before? I don't like doing things the first time by myself. I like watching other people do it. That way, when they fall or they mess up, I know what not to do. 
I don't like the one with egg on his face going, well, I tried and I failed. I like to be going, I got it right the first time, but I didn't because I watched five other people do it. <laughs> he didn't know, Noah had no idea what tools he was going to need, right? If you never built a boat, you don't know what tools you're going to need until you need them. And then how do you get them? It's not like he was running down to Lowe's going, I need a hacksaw, I need a chisel, I need a power saw, I need a drill. He, he couldn't just go pick up the tools. He not only had to build a boat, he had to build the tools to build the boat. And then if the tools were wrong, the boat was wrong. Every piece of the ark had to be handcrafted. It's estimated that he spent between 55 and 75 years building the ark to the exacting specifications that the Lord gave him. Now, here's what we do know. Noah was close with God. Out of everyone left in the earth at his time, he was the only man that walked with God, the only man that had God's favor on his life, the only man that God said, I'm going to spare you, your three sons, and their wives. Everyone else gets a hard reset. You're gone. You're out of here. The generations, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. If we're going to be able to build something in this life that's going to preserve to the next generation, we have to walk closely with the Lord. We have to be able to take instruction. We have to be able to listen and be corrected. We have to be able to stop and stand up and go, Lord, you're right, I'm wrong. It's just what it is. The Bible only records God speaking to Noah twice about the ark. Once when he told him to build it, and second when he told him how to fill it. Could you imagine God only telling you twice that you're going to build something this big and this important? I want more instructions to the T. I don't want it to be left up to interpretation because I'll get it wrong the first five times. All God says, I want it this big with these materials and this many windows and doors. And then you don't hear from him for another 55 to 75 years. Noah did 55 to 75 years worth of work for 40 days of protection. He invested years of his life to provide protection for himself, his wife, his three sons, his three daughters-in-law, and all the animals God told him to put on the boat. Noah was persistent in following the Lord's instruction. He built the ark to the exacting specification, gathered the exact type and amount of animals that he was supposed to gather, and enough food to supply for them for the 40 days that they needed. The last man I want to talk about quickly, because I'm, I'm just about out of time, is Saul. Acts 7, 54 through 58. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran upon him with one accord, and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. Acts 8, 1 through 3. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over them. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hailing men and women, committing them, committed them to prison. Saul was part of the cancel culture against the early church. And he was adamant that the new church should not live. Acts 9, 1 through 6. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, 
that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, who you persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will you have me do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what you must do. Up to this point in Saul's life, he had vehemently persecuted the church. He was standing by when Stephen was martyred. He sought permission from the high priest in Jerusalem to go forth and persecute the church. He was qualified to do this. He, was, he had been schooled in the best schools that were offered. He had sat under the, the tutelage of the most pr- uh, prominent teachers in all of Jerusalem and all of Israel. So let's look at Acts 26, where Paul is now testifying to King Agrippa. Acts 26, 1 through 12. The Jewish people all know the way I've lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country, and also in Jerusalem. They've known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it's because of my hope and what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people into prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. So Saul is qualifying to King Agrippa here going, here's my resume that I've got. This is all the bad that I've done. And this is why I did it. I was qualified because of my upbringing, qualified because of my teaching to be doing this. The last time that we hear the name Saul is in Acts 13 and 9, when he finally walks in the authority that he was given and became Paul from then on. Acts 13 and 9. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, Will you not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? God qualified Saul into Paul through his conversion process, and Paul was humble enough to allow it. Saul had all the head knowledge of who God was, but Paul had all the heart knowledge of who Jesus is. Acts 13 and 13. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Persia in Pamphylia, and John departed from them returning to, to Jerusalem. I don't know why that was in there. Oh, that was the... From then on, from Acts 13 on was when he was only referred to as Paul. No longer was he Saul. Saul was gone. Saul was dead. Saul didn't exist. It was only Paul because of what Paul allowed Jesus to do in his life. We cannot qualify ourselves to God. Isaiah 64 and 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness, all of our righteous, wow, righteousness are as filthy rags. There is nothing that we can do to make God love us or accept us more than he already does. Acts 17, 24 through 25 says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being led of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything since he himself 
gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. When you qualify for something, you're proving that you have something of value or of use to whomever you're qualifying yourself to. We can't do that with God. We can't go to God and go, look what I did today. I didn't sin today, and I haven't gotten out of bed yet. We can't do it. The best that we have is as a filthy rag. You know what I want to do with a filthy rag? It goes in the trash. It stinks. It's nasty. It's disgusting. I don't want it around me. That's the best we have to God. We cannot qualify ourselves to God. Therefore, if we can't be qualified in and of ourselves, we are unqualified to be here. But by God's mercy, but by God's grace, but by his love. 2 Corinthians 12 and 9. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Isaiah 64, 8 through 9. But now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay. You are our potter, and we all are the work of your hand. Be not wroth very sore, O Lord, neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, see, we beseech thee, we are all your people. The Lord says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. David was not a giant killer, and Noah was not a boat builder. Saul was not a Christian. None of them were qualified for the work that God called them to. Despite this, God called them to amazing works and qualified them through the unction and the guidance of the Holy Ghost. As men and women, husbands and wives, moms and dads, we can take comfort in knowing that if God has called us to these areas in our lives, he will give us what we need to be successful in those areas. Not just successful, but thriving to his glory and praise. Don't let your perceived lack of qualifications keep you from the calling and anointing that God has placed on your life. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm gonna wait on